Your life is a reflection of the questions that you're asking and more importantly, more importantly, the questions that you're living. And the quality and the depths of one's questions determine the quality and the depths of one's leadership and spiritual journey. Hi, my friends. Welcome to episode 51 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author And I'm just thrilled to be back doing podcast episodes. I took about a month off after I'd done a year of podcasting and uh, needed a bit of a break to focus a bit on some writing that I was doing. And some of that went well. I'm still in process with uh, getting more writing done. Um, But I'm thrilled to have podcast episodes back for you starting today with a great guest whose name is J.R. Briggs. Uh, We talk a whole bunch in this interview about asking questions, and it's a fascinating interview around how asking better questions can really help you in your spiritual life uh, and and may in fact be a key, kind of living with questions and and understanding what questions you might already be asking yourselves, how that might be a real key to to, uh, your life unfolding, this life journey of following Christ, uh, how that can be better. So it's uh, it's just a fascinating conversation. Um, so I hope you're going to enjoy this one. I want to encourage you as well to go and check out spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash JR and you'll find show notes on this. And what I'm going to start doing with these notes is to try to put in just sort of a key learning and, and something about the spiritual practices we are discussed on the episode. So it's kind of a quick reference. But also on that website, you can sign up for a couple of things. If you go to the main homepage, you can get a free ebook of uh, one of my books called Let God Be Present. Um, So I encourage you to go and get that. That's only going to be there for a limited time. Uh, You can also get uh, a guide, a a quick uh, six quick tips to uh, connecting with God on a more regular basis. And they're just six things that I've found helpful um, to try to uh, stay a little more consistent in my own spiritual practice. So I, I've shared those on there for a while. Um, you can find both of those on the website. If ever you have trouble with that, just get in touch with me. Send me an email. Uh, reach out to me on social media. Uh, again, you can find all of that through the website. Um, and I should just say as well, just before we kind of get into the interview, a number of you have left reviews on iTunes or you've uh, supported the podcast financially through Patreon. Um, And I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you so much for providing support uh, for me in this venture and even just leaving a review because that that helps others find the podcast. So if you do uh, enjoy what you're hearing, you like these interviews and you want to hear more of them, leaving a review is a great way to do that. And I do go and read those. And uh, it's great to get that kind of feedback and encouragement uh, from listeners out there. And there are listeners who are all over the place. I mean, most of the listeners are in the United States, uh, even though I'm Canadian. Uh, There are a number of listeners in Canada as well. But there are listeners all over the place in the UK, in Nigeria, in uh, the Netherlands, in Germany, all over Australia. So, I mean, there's there's a big long list, which is so amazing to me. Um, I'm not saying, I'm only saying that because it kind of makes me in awe that you, uh, my dear listener, 
are listening to this. And I really appreciate that you are taking the time to do so. I think today's episode you are really going to love. And I know I just had a great conversation and enjoyed so much talking to JR. Uh, and it was just, we had a blast, really. Uh, but I know that you're going to get a lot out of this and hopefully uh, gain a bit of insight into what questions you are sitting with right now. And also, perhaps you could think a little bit about, is there a question that God might be asking you? So listen to this interview, and I would actually love to hear from you. So if you want to send me an email, it's matt at mattbruff.com. Bruff is spelled B-R-O-U-G-H. And uh, please feel free to send me an email and say, you know, this, this episode made me really think, and here's a question that I've been asking myself, or here's a question that I think maybe God uh, has put on my heart or in my mind. Feel free to reach out, and I would love to hear from you. All right, you are here to listen to this interview with J.R. Briggs, and so here we go. Today on the podcast, I have J.R. Briggs. Uh, it's so great to have you on today, J.R. Thanks for having me on this. It was great to connect uh, a few months ago, and it's uh, great to connect here. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and J.R., you're with uh, Kairos Partnerships, kind of you, something, an organization you started, I believe. Yeah. Um, and maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that rather than me trying to stumble through explaining sure. what it is, but you can tell us about what your work is there to start. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we call it Kairos partnerships, but Kairos or Kairos, you know, from the Greek word time, uh, either one. And in fact, some people accuse us of mispronouncing the word Kairos. Uh, <laughs> but, but the idea is just to serve leaders. So we say we do three things. Uh, we want to invest in and equip hungry kingdom leaders. Uh, we want to grow fruit on other people's trees and create good kingdom mischief. And we've found that a lot of kingdom leaders especially are, uh, are hurting, are lonely, are overwhelmed and chronically discouraged. And we just said, what would it look like to create an organization that partnered with a lot of uh, kingdom leaders? Many of them are pastors and church planners, but not entirely, who are asking some really tough questions um, and saying, what if we were able to surround them and walk alongside of them through coaching and consulting, equipping, training, writing, uh, even just asking them really good questions and encouraging them through a hard season. So uh, in some ways, we try to be a modern day school of Tyrannus, kind of, you know, Paul, yeah. Paul in Ephesians and Acts 19, kind of a training, equipping, uh, connecting center, um, because we're just trying to equip and uh, release people into what does it look like to uh, for them to be flourishing in their calling? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and then, so we connected at one of those partnerships in mm -hmm. a way. Um, yep. So I was at an event where uh, we were receiving some training from you around asking better questions was a big part of it. And uh, we talked a little bit about uh, failure, how to help people through failure as well. Um, and uh, that event, I was there you know, learning about how to be a better coach in helping churches, new, new churches starting up. Um, and I found it really, really valuable. But what I loved about what you presented was really the work that you were doing around asking questions and why that's important. And that even just came up in your description of how do we ask better questions. Uh, and so that's what I wanted to ask you about, because I think there's some implications for the spiritual life as well, and not just necessarily what people would think of as leadership, um, which is kind of your main focus. But can we just start even just 
what led you to even looking at the power of asking questions? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. And I mean that uh, a great deal, Matt, because we don't often spend time thinking about questions and how important they are. One of the things that I noticed is that Jesus and the impact that he had uh, in the Gospels as it's recorded, the impact happened through a few things. He took field trips, right? People experienced truth. They weren't just told it in the classroom. He healed people. He told stories and he asked questions. And sometimes he did all those together. What's interesting is that often um, followers of Jesus study his parables. They study his teachings. They study uh, Sermon on the Mount. They study his stories and his healings, but we never study his questions. Even though so much life transformation and growth happen in the midst of questions, we just ignore them. And it's kind of been a holy discontent, if you can call it that, to say, what is it? Why are questions so important in terms of people have asked me questions and it's changed my life? What if I really became passionate and curious enough to grow, to become a good question asker, to actually encourage, to create a deep human connection with someone to build trust, but also to have people later come back and say, you know, that question you asked me, it's really changed me. It's shaped me. It's encouraged me. Um, It's challenged me to a level that an answer probably couldn't. And I think I've had a few of those interactions to say, this needs to be more important and no one's talking about it. And so instead of being frustrated about it, I said, what if I channeled that frustration and really began to see this as a spiritual practice? And so I pray regularly. um, And I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but this is not for my glory. This is to turn this, uh, to help um, bless others and love God and love others. But to say, Lord, will you help me be one of the best question askers that people experience in their lives. Um, because I really believe good questions can, uh, can change the trajectory of people's futures. I really believe that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then kind of, can you describe a little bit of the work that you've done and kind of looking at, looking at this subject, like what I know you've gone really deep on this. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit of the scope of what that is. Yeah. Well, just growing up, I just, for whatever reason, would notice certain question askers. And so there was sort of this uh, kind of a fun hobby for a while. And then after a while, I realized um, the role that coaching has had in my own life and the questions and how good coaches ask great questions. And so then I became a coach. And in that coaching training, I learned that 85% of the time, about on, uh, on average, a coach should not be talking, but should be listening and asking questions and reframing. And, um, and that, that, so that training helped me understand a little bit more the importance of questions and silence and, and drawing out what's already inside of people. And then I began to say, you know what, I think I can actually then train coaches how to ask better questions. And so I began training other coaches how to do that. And then um, just recently, I started my doctoral work uh, about a year ago at Biblical Theological Seminary here in the Philadelphia area. And um, my, my thesis uh, for my dissertation work is in the area of how leaders can shift from the paradigm of leader as question asker, I'm sorry, of answer giver to leader as question asker, and how the church in North America really needs that shift to happen in the life of kingdom leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then currently finishing up a book called Why Ask Questions on that very topic. So it is a deep dive and the the deeper I get, the more I realize I have so much more to explore and unpack, but uh, it is a passion of mine and I just want to see leaders equipped 
to be accused in their lifetimes of being great question askers. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Uh, I, I should say as well, I was going to say this off the top. It's a, I, I'm slightly intimidated a little bit doing a podcast where I'm asking the questions of the person who's the expert in asking questions. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. There's no need to be intimidated by that, but uh, you have to be careful. I don't turn around and just interview the, you. That's right. I, that, that's what I thought was going to be really kind of, I don't know whether it'd be entertaining or potentially boring for the listeners to hear people just asking questions back and forth to one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually have thought about at some point starting a podcast where all I do is think of the world's best question askers. And then just ask them questions on how they became such great question askers. So you're kind of scratching uh, your itch here, Matt. Okay, you- there you go. All right. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have to watch for that. That'll be better. That happens. Um, I want to come back to something you said about Jesus and looking at uh, his questions that he asked. And that was something that stuck with me in the presentation you did in January is just the sheer volume of questions that yeah. Jesus asked. And we don't necessarily think about that. Mm-hmm. I think we see them and we they might hit us or we might hear a sermon where that becomes a, a kernel for a sermon, but we necessarily don't think about how much he did that. Yeah. So can you comment on how much Jesus asked questions? Yeah, he he asked questions more than we realize until we get into studying it. You know, if we start, you know, at the beginning of chapter two in the book of Luke, you know, Mary and Joseph, they lose track of Jesus, you know, as a young boy and they freak out. They look everywhere and they finally find him. And his mother asks him, why have you done this to us, (laughs) essentially? And the first words of Jesus recorded in the Gospels are not an answer or even a question. There are two questions. Um, He says, why are you searching for me? And didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? Um, and the text says that they found him in the temple courts with the most elite religious leaders in the country. And it says they were amazed by his understanding and his questions. So that's the first thing that we hear recorded about Jesus, um, you know, past his birth uh, when he's little. Um, and then the first words of, uh, of Jesus recorded in the Gospels are two questions. The last words recorded in Matthew and Mark where Jesus speaks before his death is also a question, right? And, um, and then the Gospels say that after he's risen and he returns to earth, he keeps asking more questions like, do you have anything to eat? So from start to finish, and then even after resurrection, he's constantly asking questions. And the New Testament in the study that I've done records, and this is just in English, it's hard to actually get the exact amount of questions in the Greek based on nuances and translations, is that more of a statement or is that a question? But if you just use like an NIV, and, and I just went through it in an NIV looking for red question marks that I could circle uh, in a red letter edition, there are 325 questions in the Gospels that Jesus asks, and one in the book of Acts. Um, and I'm not going to answer that for your listeners to see if they can figure out what is the one red question mark in the book of Acts. Um, and what's interesting is that he's also asked 183 questions. How many of those did Jesus answer directly? Well, it looks like he answered that uh, directly uh, eight, five times and three of them semi-directly. <laughs> and so that's about 2% of all the times that he directly answers the question that's given to him. So uh, all that to say, there's a plethora of questions that Jesus asks and is asked and he only answers a very small percentage of them. And I think there's a reason for that too. So. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think the reason is? I think that oftentimes the questions that Jesus is asked 
is not really either worthy of an answer or they're trying to trap him. Yeah. Um, oftentimes he'd respond with another question. And a lot of that's because of his rabbinical training. And so here in the West, you know, what is two plus two? We answered definitively it is four, but in the East you'd be trained. What is two plus two? You'd respond with, with something like what is 16 divided by four? So you actually answer indirectly the question by giving another question. And we see Jesus do that a lot, but he's actually answering. If we can kind of draw the lines of connection there, he is answering it, but often not in the way we might think in our Western mindset of looking for a concrete period at the end of the sentence. Yeah. I think as well, that kind of connects to Jesus in the temple age 12, where what the, scribes and the other teachers there are point out and is the seems to be like the sign of jesus wisdom mm-hmm. is that they're amazed at the questions he asked yes yes it's not, it's not that oh wow he knew his bible so well or i mean probably did <laughs> but uh you know he was able to give answers to our questions but it's he's here and he's inquiring he's inquisitive mm-hmm. he's asking great questions that maybe are even stumping them um and that is a sign of wisdom for them Yes. Um, whereas if we have a 12-year-old who's asking questions, sometimes we get really annoyed with that. Right. Sure. But it's interesting with questions because, you know, if you, if you ask even why do we ask questions, there's, there's several things that, you know, or another question could be what makes a, a great question great? What's the difference between a good one and a great one? And oftentimes great questions provide connection, right? Human connection and depth, clarity, or maybe even intentional lack of clarity, to get us to think more and to wrestle with some of the nuances, to provoke thought, curiosity, engagement, action. Um, Those are all things of great incisive questions. And I love that adjective incisive because when I look at Jesus's questions, they oftentimes create an incision in people's minds, their imaginations, or their souls. And um, almost like like a surgeon with a scalpel in hand. Jesus asks questions and just creates a little little incision on people's hearts. Sometimes it was to hurt, right? I mean, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I think he asked them as a way of kind of really cutting them. But I think that most of the time that it wasn't to hurt people, it was to create a little incision, just like a surgeon does in surgery, be able to, they're not trying to cause pain, they're trying to bring healing. And I think what Jesus is trying to do is restore us back. And sometimes the best most incisive questions are the ones that create an incision and let us bleed out that ultimately lead to our healing. And um, I think Jesus asks us those questions too, to lead to our own healing and guidance. I mean, even, you know, the questions of God, I mean, Genesis three, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? It doesn't mean that he didn't know their location. I think he's wanting to know their spiritual and personal intimate relationship. Where are we? Where are we now? It's like when, when a little kid plays hide-and-go-seek, your son plays hide-and-go-seek, you see him, you see his feet, his feet hanging out from behind the couch. Where are you? And he giggles, right? Because there's something about being drawn into a relationship or a participation in an experience. Rather than saying, I see you, saying, where are you, draws us further into some sort of experience or relationship to a deeper level. Hmm, I love that. I, as you were talking, it made me think of... Uh... Jesus asked the question of his disciples after teaching about you must eat my flesh and drink. Um, and unless you, unless you do, then you have no part in me and, and people leave. And he says to his disciples, are you too going to leave? 
Yes. And ask them that. And they respond initially with a question. Where else, yes. we, where else can we go? Um, exactly. And then they give the answer. You have the words to eternal life. But um, we just did a, a, a series on the gospel of John. So that's kind of sticking in my mind as Jesus asks that question. Like that's another question that probably Jesus asks us when we encounter something difficult or hard, whether that's part of our faith or our theology or even just in our life. And Jesus asks, are, are you too going to turn away as, as others have? And, and that's the great thing of questions, right? I mean, questions, just like Jesus's parables, no, no one would accuse Jesus of being boring. You may have loved him or hated him, but no one would say, ah, he's unengaging and he's really boring and he put me to sleep. That's right. And I think one of the two reasons being is he tells these stories and what do stories do? They invite us in. They suck yeah. us in to participate as do questions. Hmm. And so when questions, you know, draw us in, He's wanting us to participate, which is his whole vision. Participate in the kingdom of God. Participate in what we're doing. And so when you mentioned at the end of Mark 6, Mark 6, 60 to 67, that passage that you just referred to, you know, are you going to leave too? I mean, that's a really like jolting, am I? Am I going? Am I staying? Or am I? That's a participation uh, question. And uh, I would love to sit down with Peter and his response of where else would we go? Is that out of exasperation of like, are you kidding me? We're out of options. Or like, you're the one. Where else would we go? Because you're it. And we believe you are it. I just can't wait to grab a latte with Peter and just say, tell me more what you meant there at the end of John 6. I can ask him some (laughs) questions about that. How can asking questions and whether that's, you know, asking other people or even asking yourself questions. Uh, how can that help us to follow Jesus or be more Christ-like? I mean, obviously we could just say, well, Jesus asked lots of questions. So if we ask some more, Christ, that's maybe simplistic, but, mm-hmm. but how does that help us to actually walk uh, following Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's a great question. Um, again, questions create deeper connection. And so I, I think there are times where, um, you know, we can ask questions out of questioning faith. And I think there are some healthy ways to do that and some unhealthy ways to do that. But in some ways, this is a little bit of a different category. Um, But by asking questions, I think we can be drawn into the scriptures uh, even better. There's something that in uh, Jewish yeshiva, Jewish seminary um, called uh, Havruta, right? And so it's where they look at a passage and they have these partners and they just ask questions of the text, not give answers. And by just asking questions of the text, it can become a greater form of understanding and engaging the story of God. And so questions bring things out. So um, one time uh, when I studied in, in Israel in college, I had a, a, a rabbi for a professor, and we were looking at the story, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. And we call it the sacrifice of Isaac, but Jews call it the, the binding of Isaac. And you say, why? Well, he was bound, but never really sacrificed, at least not in a literal way. And he gave us the assignment to ask 50 questions of the text. And he said, don't come with answers. Just put your name at the paper. And in a week, just write one to 50 of the questions. I'm thinking, I've got maybe two or three. But if you really start digging in, you start asking questions like, how old was Isaac? And you begin to realize he wasn't this third grader like I thought he was. He probably was a middle-aged man. Well, that brings up all sorts of questions. Why could he not overpower his old man if he's trying to sacrifice him? And why in the text is uh, it never recorded that, that Isaac and Abraham ever interacted again? Um, you know, there, so I began to see things by that assignment I never would have seen if I'm just there to give answers to the text. So 
That's the first thing. I think it can engage the scriptures better and deepen our relationship. Um, but, but questions, yeah, they, they, they deepen intimacy in any relationship, whether it's friendship or marriage. Um, but I think there can be a level of engagement too, um, that we not only engage in questions with God and have God ask us questions, but when we engage in questions with other people, we invite them and we open ourselves up. Questions can be very vulnerable. And it's only when we're vulnerable that we grow. There's never time in anyone's life they will grow without uh, being preceded by vulnerability. And there's a vulnerability to questions um, that is there and present in ways that, that answers aren't always so vulnerable. Um, so those are, those are a few ways that I think we can really deepen our connection with God by being open to questions, not being afraid of questions. Jesus wasn't afraid of questions. And I think we need to get over that stigma that uh, questions are bad and we can't ask questions. Um, and then the last one, I, the idea of curiosity and maybe deeper than that, wonder. I think the Jews really grasp the idea of wonder. And I think as followers of Jesus, especially here in the West, with our enlightenment um, inheritance, we, answers are good. Jesus is the answer, but Jesus is often the question. Too, and I, I think if we can really understand the importance of wonder in our journey with Jesus, um, that's going to take us to places of intimacy that we we can't have uh, if we're just seeking answers with periods at the end of sentences all the time. Yeah, what I know you've said a few times, sort of in the West, we're looking, f- we have an inclination toward answers. <laughs> or the right, trying to find the right answer. Mm-hmm. And then you've said this is maybe a real need that's, that's needed. Can you say more about, about that? Like where, where's that come from? Why do we want this? Is it, is it sort of this desire for sure ground in mm. some way? And just the questions unsettle us and then we don't really like that. Maybe that's a good thing. Like I, no. what is it about, why do we need this so much? Uh, especially in, in the West where we've, we've maybe leaned far more heavily on, answers or solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the straitjacket of enlightenment thinking um, that we've been wrapped in for so long that we don't fully realize how far it's gone. Um, but at the same time, even, even though we long for answers, and again, answers can be a good thing, but answers can actually keep us from deeper exploration. It can actually keep other people at arm's length too. And it can also, uh, which I know uh, as your neighbors to the south here, um, you know, Americans can can come across as being very arrogant. And there's something about questions that bring about a humility to be able to say, I don't know everything. And to be able to acknowledge our limits and say, I have so much more to know and to learn and to grow. And I, I think that's a, that's a, a skill uh, that has been lost significantly in America. And uh, even when there are differences, as we're seeing on the political landscape right now, uh, here in America, of uh, help me understand. Tell me more. Oh, wow, I didn't know you thought that. Where did that come from? And if it can come out of a, a real sense of hospitality, I think questions are hospitality. And if we can be hospitable with the questions, not just what we ask, but how we ask them is really important. Um, it can be a gift to people. Um, and so um, I think some of it is efficiency. 
questions take time. We aren't always very patient here. <laughs> um, and to be able to just take time with the questions to slow down. I think an over-obsession with, uh, with quantity, uh, where questions are more about quality, mm-hmm. um, those, those, are, those are things that we need to shed. And I, th- I think moving forward, we don't need more answers. I mean, Google gives us more answers than we need. I think the quality of our questions will then enhance the types of answers that we seek and the depth and the richness of the answers in which we go after. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are really crucial um, to the process because your life is a reflection of the questions that you're asking and more importantly, more importantly the questions that you're living. Mm-hmm. And the quality and the depths of one's questions determine the quality and the depths of one's leadership and spiritual journey. And um, so I think it's the quality that we really need to hone in on more uh, and not, not just the quantity. So how do how does one do that? How does one become a better question asker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There are several things. I mean, we could we could spend another hour, uh, you know, just talking about that alone. But I think there are three main categories. One is there's a preparation that we can do. Then there's a practice of it, and then on the backside, there's a reflection uh, regarding questions. So I try to break it into those three categories. So. Um, on a preparation side, I mean, it just is going to sound uh, somewhat elementary, but it's amazing how few people do it. Um, Andrew Carnegie, he had this great line. He said, don't try to be interesting, be interested. And that if there's not a genuine interest that we have in the world that we live in and people that we connect with, it's just going to feel like gimmick, uh, gimmicky tactics. And uh, no one wants to be a project or, or be treated as a gimmick. So if there's a genuine interest there... Um, even just to, on a preparation side, begin to ask yourself questions before you open your mouth to ask questions. Like, what type of question am I about to ask? Or what's my motivation in wanting to ask this question? Or is it worth it? Does this person even want to be asked questions right now? Um, but uh, also to develop or collect five or 10 really great questions that have maybe impacted you or others to just collect those maybe even memorize those and just bring those up in conversation, whether it's someone over coffee or someone you talk to on the phone or at the next party that you go to. Even when you hear someone ask a great question, write it down. Um, Study the gospels, you know, again, get a red letter edition of the Bible and just circle every time a red question is asked. Um, But even just asking people about their hopes and their dreams, their aspirations, you get people talking about their passions as you're talking about with me with the idea of questions as a passion of mine, it's hard to get people to shut up when you are genuinely interested uh, in hearing about someone's passion. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, write questions in the margin of the books that you read. Um, I do that a lot. Uh, what, what, what is what this author is saying? How is this bringing up questions? If I could have coffee with him or her, what are the top 10 questions I would want to ask them based on the book that I just read? Um, um, even asking questions during failure, uh, when you screw up, when you have been rejected, when a project you initiated at work didn't, didn't pan out, to be able to just say, why didn't this work? What, what lies am I tempted to believe right now in my identity because I felt deep rejection from that person? And that can really plumb the depths of what's really going on in my soul right now. Um, I think as well, just raising the profile of asking questions is 
giving permission to not have answers at yes. least necessarily, or maybe not right away. Mm-hmm. So sure. particularly in times of failure or distress, like I find that people are, are living with questions mm-hmm. already yeah, and, and are distressed about often they're out of distress, right? Yes. Why did God allow this negative thing to happen? Mm-hmm. Why is my life not working out the way I'd hoped it would be? Why, you know, how am I going to manage without my spouse who passed away? Yeah. Like people are asking deep, difficult questions already. And it's almost as though the culture has taught them there's supposed to be an answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is almost, I find it permission giving to say, it's okay to sit with this. And there something is going to come out of that question. Um, but you probably have to sit with the question for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the the markers of a great question is that it may not be easy to answer right away. Right. To the point that it may never be answered, um, yeah. but it still does important work in my head and my heart, even if I can't answer it. That's the Psalms. There are a lot of questions in the Psalms yeah. that go unanswered by God. David asks, and yet there's still deep prayer and connection that occurs even when God didn't answer those. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good. And, and one of the practices I encourage people who are serious about growing and asking good questions is think of what I would call a meta question. What's a question that's so big that it might take you six or 12 months to answer or longer? And so there's a question I've been asking myself the last several years that hasn't been answered, and I don't know if it ever will, and it's this. Um, why is it that we... Um, let me get the exact wording of this. Why is it that the more right I think I am, the less kind I think I have to be? Hmm. This is more a reflection maybe of me than it is of like human nature. But why am I, if, if I'm absolutely convinced I'm right, why am I so adamant and then treat people so poorly in the midst of my rightness? What's behind that, Briggs? So for me, that's something the last several years, I don't know if I'll ever get an answer to but it's been some great deep soul work going on in my own life of getting to the root of that slowly. Um, and again, I may never get to the end of that, but at least some of the progress I've made thus far have been re- has been really good in terms of my own growth and maturity and even the need for me to repent and confess when there I am going at it again. I think I'm right. And therefore I treated that person very poorly. Um, so. Incidentally, I think that might also that question might also be the slogan for most of social media. <laughs> Maybe true. <laughs> that is so true. Or politics. Uh, are there any are there any universal questions that that everyone maybe ought to ask or at some point comes to ask? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think some of the great philosophers, you know, have probably tapped into a lot of these already. Of, you know, who am I? Why am I here? Um, you know, is there a God? Is there something larger than myself? Um, um, what is meaning? What is purpose? And and I think some of the philosophers uh, probably are well known um, through the millennia, uh, probably because of the uh, the good questions that they've given us to wrestle with and maybe even some handles to navigate some of those questions. But um, there's something that Erwin McManus said. Um, he said less about questions and longings. He said, I, there are three things about every human being that God has stamped three things uh, inside of us. And that's sort of the, the Imago day. Um, 
the Ecclesiastes, you know, God has given eternity into the hearts of men and women. He said, everybody has a longing for significance, a longing for community, and a longing for destiny. And I think some of the great questions that exist in life probably connect to one, two, or all three of those longings that we have. A longing for community. Am I all alone? Am I here to connect with others? A longing for significance. Why am I here? Does my life matter? And a longing for um, for destiny. Is this all there is? Is there something larger than myself? Is there eternity here? So I, I really think we can connect the great questions to those three three longings that we all have. And um, dogs don't feel those. Butterflies don't feel those or ask those, but humans do. And I think that's, again, the eternity being placed in the hearts of men and women that Ecclesiastes talks about. Now, this podcast is about spiritual practices, or at least we always get around to that in some way. So I want to ask you about your own spiritual practice, but I wonder as well if it connects to what we've been talking about in any way as well, Um, because I'd be interested to hear how this this focus on questions uh, impacts how you live out your relationship with God, like in Mm. real terms for yourself, for your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it starts with asking myself, okay, not only who is God, how do I connect with God, but how has God uniquely wired me? I think God gives each of us different spiritual personalities, if you will, to be able to connect. Some people it's out in nature. Some people it's study, right? Some people it's being in community with others. Some people it's solitude or liturgy. And so I, I sense my heart language a lot of times is study, um, not to be smarter, but I, I, the wonder is deepened the more I study. And so that's an important spiritual practice in terms of how I'm wired. Um, The Moravians uh, put out the Moravian daily text for uh, the last few centuries and something Dietrich Bonhoeffer did every day. I think that's where I first learned of it several years ago. So I use the Moravian daily texts um, in my, my journey with Jesus. And it's just very simply an old Testament, a Psalm or proverb and and a New Testament passage with a, a watchword, as the Moravians call it. I'm not Moravian. I'm just grateful for their tradition. But a watchword for, um, for the week or for the day. And then a simple prayer. Um, but I also uh, begin my day with my journal in uh, journaling five things I'm grateful for. And um, in some ways, I need to be reminded not of the big, huge things I'm thankful for, but the everyday little things. So this morning... Uh, I journaled and I just said, Lord, thank you for uh, the warmer weather, for a, war- a, a well-worn pair of jeans that feels great, the taste of coffee this morning. I mean, it's the little things. If I can cultivate a spirit of gratitude, I think that's the way we honor Jesus best because when we're grateful, we're humble. Uh, it's hard to be um, grateful when we're arrogant. or yeah, It may be impossible, actually, um, and so humility and, and, and gratitude start there. Um, so five things every day. The Moravian text uh, is very important to me. Practicing Sabbath uh, is very important to me because I'm a driven person. And so it sort of guardrails me against uh, burnout in many ways, but also reminds me God doesn't need my help. He graciously invites me to participate with him, but he's not going, oh, no. You're taking the day off. I don't know how the world's going to survive without you, Briggs. (laughs) And it just helps me um, think of myself accurately (laughs) in that. So those are a few things. And then we have practices as a family that we do together. 
before the boys, we have two boys, uh, fifth grade and second grade. Before they leave for school in the morning, we gather together, hold hands. We pray for our teachers. We pray for the school. We pray for safety as we go our different ways. And then we sing a, a simple blessing song as we look each other in the eyes. Um, with backpacks on and lunch is ready to go, we sing, stand and sing, look each other in the eyes. And when we're done, hug and say goodbye. And uh, that's a great practice that we do as a family. Um, my son and I just completed my 11-year-old uh, reading through the Bible in a year. And uh, we're really grateful to do that with him. I didn't force him to do it. I just invited him to join me in that. And so that was a wonderful practice to read that out loud with a uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and Psalm and Proverb um, every morning with him for a year. So uh, that was a wonderful goal that we accomplished. But uh, now I'm working on that with my my eight year old, and uh, and so that's those are some practices we do as a family as well. Wow, I, so I'm gonna have to get you back on this show to talk about all that. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that's that's a lot going there. Can now. I know there's lots of people, myself included, that have trouble staying consistent in spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I've learned over the time of doing this podcast just over a year is uh, how prevalent that is, but then also how often people are saying that they've learned about grace in some ways through not being consistent and, and they used to worry about that. And now they've learned to kind of let that go and realize to have grace with themselves. So I don't know if you have, I I think people would like to be more consistent. They want to try to do that. So if there's ways that, that you've either gotten yourself out of a rut or that, I think that's helpful for people to hear about that. But I always want to preface that with this word of it's okay. Like, yeah, like let's have grace with ourselves the way God has grace with us. Yep. Mm. Beautiful. And I'm so glad you set that up the way that way, Matt, because you know, Spiritual practices are not legalism, it's, it's wisdom, right. right? And so it allows me, you know, to kind of put surround sound. I know, I know that God can speak to me and interact with me at any time throughout any day, but when I engage in spiritual practices, it's almost like there's surround sound in my house. And by engaging in these practices, it doesn't make me more loving or more spiritual or look, I'm sure God loves me more than everybody else because I <laughs> journaled this morning or read the Moravian books. But it, what it does is it just allows the sound to not come from one corner of my life, but to be just this surround sound um, feel um, in high def. And so um, for me, I'm, I'm not a morning person and uh, I'm more of a night owl. And so for me, the hardest spiritual practice has been getting to bed a lot earlier than my body wants me to get to bed. And I've just forced myself to get up at 6.30 every morning, which I know isn't early for early risers. You can make fun of me. It's fine. But for me, that was really a big deal to do that about a year and a half ago. And what I found is then my morning opened up because that's before the boys get up. And I was then able to have that. I was so frustrated for years when I got up at 7 or 7.30. Um, and the boys were, you know, they, they wanted breakfast and they're getting ready for school. And it was just chaos. And I just would beat myself up saying I don't have regular time where I'm um, in the Word. And, I'm, and, and I just found for me, I just had to move everything back at night so I could get up a little bit early. And just that little window was just, has been such a gift to me in the morning. Uh, instead of waking up reacting to the world and being stressful and, ah, oh, the kids need this and out the door, it just became a way for me to ease into the morning. And uh, 
So that may work for some, it may not for others, but uh, there is grace, but I'm, I'm to the point, I'm a big disciplined guy. Um, hopefully not out of legalism, but I just think I'm wired and I, I crave rhythms because there's so much that flies at us that's unpredictable that I just need to be anchored almost like jazz music, right? The improv of life is everywhere. I just need that bass beat to be consistent in my life. And those practices are that for me. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I wanted to ask as well. Uh, do you think there's a question that God is asking you? Mm -hmm. It's a great, it's a great question. Uh, Last week I was struck by a question I had journaled a while ago and I just found in my journal again, less, it's less coming directly from God, but I think it totally relates to my interaction with God. And, and it was this question, where is my journey with Jesus taking me? And uh, I don't know why I was so struck by that, especially the second half of that taking me. Right, I know it's a journey with Jesus, but I haven't really thought much about where is my journey with Jesus? Where is he wanting to take me? And um, that he wants to go places with me. And so maybe the question is, Jerry, will you go places with me? Um, but uh, that's, that's really struck me. Um, yes, he cares about who I'm becoming more than what I'm doing. But in the becoming, he wants to take me places. And so the underlying subset of questions may be, am I willing to be taken somewhere? Um, and oftentimes, I think in my immaturity or my desire for control, I want, I want, the, I want the GPS directions. I want, to, you know, I want Apple to just say on my phone, go 4.7 miles and turn right on, on 3rd Street. Mm-hmm. Um, when really, I think he's just saying, how about you just, I know where we're going. Let me drive and you just sit in the passenger seat. You don't have to worry about GPS and we can just hang out while we go on this road trip. Hmm. And so I think then the subset question is, well, will this be GPS or will, will he just drive me? <laughs> and am I okay with him just driving me and not telling me where we're going, but just to trust him as he takes me? Yeah, I'm um, struck by a bit of the way, the way you phrase that. There's some delight in that invitation. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I, I, I really relate to what you're saying. I, I also want like, God, just tell me what to do. Like, just tell me what yeah. you want me to do and then yeah. make it clear. And then I can, I can try to follow through as best I can. Yeah. Um, but that me asking that question, what do you want me to do? Almost kind of squeezes all the delight out of the uh-huh. God may be doing. Yeah. Jesus inviting saying, Hey, come on. Like, do you want to come with me? Like that sounds like something I would say to my daughter when yeah. we're going to go and I know the thing we're going to do is going to be really fun and, and she's going to love it, but she doesn't know what it is yet. She's never been there. Right. Like that's, and we, like, I don't always think of God that way, but just hearing you speak, it, it sounded like, Oh, there's, there's delight. Like Jesus has something delightful and fun for Jr. to mm-hmm. do in that invitation. Yes. And that's the word. I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Yeah. And invitation is the right one. If it's out of obligation or duty, I've missed the point of a joy-filled, grace-saturated opportunity to join with Jesus. But it's an invitation. I I just need to have this image of God kind of waving his hand, my direction. Come on, come with me, come join me. And, And that's, I think, where the joy is. If, if I don't have that image in my picture, in the picture in my head of Jesus waving me towards him, 
then it begins to feel like duty and legalism and that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm a professional Christian paid to love Jesus. I kind of have to do this for everybody else, but no, 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 it's come, come on, man, jump in. And in college, it it reminded me there was a, a, a wing of one of the, of the dorm that I lived in. And they did this thing called road trip every year where they would find um, a place between eight and 15 hours away from campus. Um, and they threw different locations, big cities in a hat that fit within that uh, requirement. They, at that point, you had to print off directions, right? But all of them would get in three vans. They'd load up every year and they had eight or nine different um, cities in a hat on p- pieces of paper. And someone would reach in while they're all loaded up with their stuff for the weekend. They'd pull out a piece of paper and they say, St. Louis, we're going to St. Louis. And they would oftentimes drive 15 hours to St. Louis. They would get out and spend half a day at St. Louis. And then they'd drive 15 hours back. And, I, and they would say it was so much fun. And they said the goal really wasn't St. Louis. It was obviously the, the trip and the journey and connecting and the relationships that they had through that that made it worthwhile. And I wonder if that's often my relationship with God. I sometimes focus too much on St. Louis when he says, how about we just have a road trip together? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's the invitation where there's the joy. Yeah, I love that. Wow, we could uh, we could keep going forever on all this, um, but we're not going to. <laughs> so, where can people find you online if they're looking for you? And I know you've also written a couple of books that people may want to check out. And you did mention there's the possibility of a, a one coming out about questions as well. So can you tell yeah. us about all that stuff and yeah. where people can connect with you? Yeah, um, two, two main ways online you can find me, uh, kairospartnerships.org. That's K-A-I-R-O-S, kairospartnerships.org. Um, and then the other one is on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way. It's at J-R underscore Briggs. And uh, yeah, I'd love to interact with any of you uh, who uh, want to connect more or talk more about questions. And then as far as books, uh, Amazon is probably the easiest way. You can just type my name, J-R Briggs, in the the subject heading there um, or anywhere where fine books are sold so (laughs) (laughs) sounds good all right thanks so much jr for for being on the podcast today thanks for having me matt this was a joy thanks for listening today i hope you found it helpful you can find show notes and back episodes on the website spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and could i ask as well If you might be willing to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for this podcast, it helps other listeners find this show so that they can hear some of these interviews and hopefully be encouraged in their walk with God. Again, thanks for listening and take care.